Welcome to the Bill Bradley Collective. We're recording a little later than usual. It's Sunday, and a beautiful evening in the in the Levy Native. It is Bar-Kampa. so nice out. It, it is it is glorious. Um, so how are you doing, Zach? Good. I had my union convention this week, so I got to go to one of those days, and uh, you did a great job on the panel. So uh, you talked later in the episode. I'm guessing you will about um, Ned Flanders' family, one of our favorite episodes. Yes. But one of my favorite episodes features when Mo goes back to the soap opera (laughs) that he had left when he became ugly. What type of doctor did he play on the soap opera? Oh, my God. All right. This is a later season episode. It's like season 11. Yeah, it's like season 11. The wall falls on his face. It just goes back to his old face. <laughs> Plastic surgeon? He dedicated his life to the head holes. He was an yes. ear, nose, and throat specialist. How are the you doing? <laughs> How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing all right. Um, it kind of disturbed me this morning to see that the Daily News Post, New York Post writers for like comparing Julius Randle last night to like Willis Reed. It's like, yeah, right, yeah pump the brakes. Like, yeah. sprained ankle, and he he, had a, he played great, but he's also he was not gravely injured and also no. played four quarters. So. It was a, there was a <laughs> right. loud Cavaliers fan at the draft trades last night. Was there really? There was a loud. I'm, I'm kind of glad I was. Maybe maybe that. maybe they mean he plays defense like a dead. It's guy. my last basketball game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I left with LeBron. So. I, um, yesterday, uh, Joe Joyce had a fight and I realized when I looked at the, uh, FanDuel odds, wait a second, I can get the third best British heavyweight to lose at plus 1200. What am I doing? Just bet it. I didn't. And then he got beat to the surprise (laughs) of not me, not, I mean, obviously he was plus it was it was a weird line. Like he was minus nine hundred, and Zhang was like plus twelve hundred. Like it was a weird line, but uh, he was a big favorite for right. sure. Um, the first time that two British heavyweights fought for the title was when Lennox Lewis defeated this man. Give you a hint. He had forty five fights, and only two of them went to decision. Who is he, or was he, and is he dead or alive? Oh, fuck. You've heard of him. Frank Bruno? That is correct. Ding, right. ding, 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 cool. ding, ding. Do you remember who he beat for the championship? Um, He lost to Tyson. Tw- he, he lost Tyson like 10 years apart, 86, right. 96, and who he beat for it? He, he beat a guy that beat Lennox Lewis. Oliver McCall? Oliver McCall. It's, yeah, yes, he won. He, that's one of his... Cash in the bonus points. That's one of his only two decisions. Is Frank Bruno dead or alive? I think he's alive. He is alive. Uh, kind of shockingly, he was put... Uh, he, he spent some time in a mental institution. Yeah, for sure. Um, where the, the son, which... Really, it makes the daily news in the New York Post look like the Wall Street Journal. Um, said Bonker Bruno hospitalized <laughs> because he was put in the hospital with mental illness. For sure, but he also had a significant cocaine problem. But he has rehabilitated himself. 
He is alive, and he has not been knocked out in a long time because he got knocked out five times. Um, so what will you be ranting about? I've talked a lot about UConn the last few weeks, obviously, uh, doing the victory lap, but I, I talk about them in the context today of, like, this is the 25th anniversary of a sports movie that we talked about sports movies on this podcast, and what we didn't talk about was He Got Game. And this is that movie's 25th anniversary, and it features a UConn star as the lead uh, high school prospect, the, you know, the LeBron James before LeBron James, five years before LeBron James. That movie was very telling in a lot of troubling ways, but also kind of uh, telling in a, a lot of, I think we're in a better place in college basketball in terms of that, but we'll we'll talk about it. I'll talk about it. I, I will be talking about the Dallas Mavericks and the utter hypocrisy of Alan, uh, Adam Silver. And Zach, what you'll be uh, ranting about. Are we ranting about uh, Diane Feinstein and just... We can't, where, where is she at? We can't, what, <laughs> what, what's this little scoundrel up to these we, days? We, we can't miss you unless you go away. And uh, so, and Andrew, our main topic. Main topic. This week, the Texas Supreme Court ruled a uh, anti-abortion dr- an abortion drug named what? Mifepristone. Mifepristone. We I went. About. I went thirteen for thirteen in getting that right. Oh my goodness! <laughs> it's like Julius Randall at the free throw line last night. Texas uh, Supreme Court ruled that this drug was illegal, and now you've got you've got Biden, you've got the Supreme Court all on their back trying to like get this right. And it's all of that in the context of court legislation at the federal, the national level, what it means at the national level, electorally, going forward in like presidential elections, uh, all via abortion and abortion laws in this country. It's all next on the Bill Bradley Collective. Driving into the crossroads of sports and politics, we are the Bill Bradley Collective. Here are your hosts, Ed, Zach, and Andrew. So as you know, we have a serious topic for our main discussion. So I'm going to spend my rant at the kids' table because... Welcome to the kids' table, where (laughs) I often uh, abide. Uh, I have never been a Dallas Mavericks fan, although there was an NBA jam season where they had Sean Bradley, I think it was Antoine Jameson and Steve Nash, and that team was unbeatable. Yeah. Unbeatable, because you could goaltend and still be on fire. So yeah. that was like they were an unbeatable team. But this Dallas Mavericks team, I have found pretty much unwatchable. A, Mark Cuban is a fucking clown. He seemed to be the cool billionaire until you realize, oh, he's a billionaire first and foremost, uh, whether or not he's on Shark Tank. Um, the team's unwatchable. They played the most boring style, as though James Harden's style wasn't boring enough for Texas. They now just, it's the same thing. Luka Doncic pounds the ball for 22 seconds and either takes a shot or throws it to a guy, uh, an open shooter. And if he doesn't get a foul call, stands and argues with the referee for the entire time of the defensive possession. But this is about them being fined $750,000 for, quote, conduct detrimental to the league after they decided to sit Kyrie Irving, who supposedly is uh, recovering from a foot injury, and resting Christian Wood and Josh Green 
on the day before the last game of the season, I guess they were resting them for the summer vacation, and gave up a chance to make the play-in tournament. Um, they did this because the they had made a top 10 uh, protected pick, uh, draft pick to the Knicks. They had exchanged that pick. So if they were inside the top 10, they got to keep the pick. But if they're outside the top 10, they had to give it up. Actually, I think it was top 11, right? Top 11. Was the lottery protected? Pro- no, uh, it's, not, it's 11. 11, okay. So they decided to sit everybody and play for the pick. A pick that, by the way, they had given up to trade for Kyrie Irving, but that's neither here nor there. Um, first of all, the NBA wants it both ways. To find a team that is worth $2 billion, that's probably uh, a conservative I, estimate. I, that's very conservative. Right. I'd say maybe double that. Yeah, well, I mean, possibly. I mean, we'll say $3 billion. To find them $750,000 is the exact same thing as finding me $70. You can find me $70. That's not really going to change my behavior. It's $70. $750,000 is not going to change your behavior. Secondly, the NBA allows protected picks in the draft. If you don't want to do this, Say you can't protect picks, and if you trade a draft pick, it's unprotected. Thirdly, through the collective bargaining agreement, they decide to have a draft. You could make the league basically have free agency for rookies and give slot um, the amount of money they could spend on rookies according to where they finish in the draft, and that would stop a lot of this. But they don't want to do any of those things. They want to act all upset and then not do anything about it. Because the NBA, under Adam Silver, is a league without a backbone. Adam Silver looks like a man with no spine and acts like a man with no spine. And he has been coasting on the uh, Donald Sterling thing for, what, a decade now? I think the coasting's over. He's bad at his job. And one of the reasons he's bad at his job is the NBA owners want him to be bad at their job. He's no Roger Goodell. But he's getting there. Yeah, I mean, if the NBA wants to stop this, take away their draft picks, finding them a minuscule amount of money is not going to do it. It's not going to do it for anybody. If you wanted to say you don't get the draft pick, you, sorry, you lost your first round pick. That would stop tanking immediately. For sure. It's, you know, I've referred on this podcast to the NCAA, uh, the, the college model as being rudderless. And the NBA becomes, and I again, this is a guy Silver who I for years thought was kind of like this is, this is great, such an up, such an upgrade to Stern, and this league to me, it's increasingly rudderless when you have a team like the Mavericks where, yeah, like Luca and Kyrie, so Luca's, you know, definitely one of the top six to eight players in the league, Kyrie and Luca collectively are two of the top fifteen most visible players in the league, and this is a team with the two of them. That is literally taking away their season? And they like, ta- are you kidding me? And they tanked on Slovenia Appreciation Day, which is why Doncic <laughs> started. Of, of which that. is why Doncic started, but he only played 11 minutes, and then he went out to rest because I guess he was. I guess he wore himself out complaining. And, of course, when he picked up his 16th technical and was going to be suspended for having 16 technicals, 
Adam Silver overruled the technical so he wouldn't miss a game that he then took off anyway with pay as opposed to without pay because this league has no fucking sense at all. It it almost makes you not pine, but maybe like stern as an authoritarian. And obviously Stern was very wrong on certain things, uh, racially and socially, but like at least Stern kind of like hold held this league, held these guys to like somewhat of a standard. Whether that standard was problematic or not, the standard was there. I mean, I don't know. There's a third way. There's a th- <laughs> there, there's the Stern way, there's the uh Adam Silver way, and there's the right way. Right. Is that fair? Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Um to transition, well not really basketball adjacent um this next week will mark the 25th anniversary of the release of the film he got game a spike lee movie featuring uh denzel washington most prominently but also like ray allen a guy who had been in the nba for two years and the co-lead as a playing a prodigious high school superstar basketball player in a movie that just and again that it's this 25th anniversary it's a problem it's i love the movie it's well shot, it's well scored, it's well acted, it's well... The movie itself is great. Certain plot elements are kind of problematic, and certain things... Again, there's things that... I say problematic, but certain problematic things have aged kind of like, yeah, these things were problematic then, they're still problematic now, they're probably problematic before. This is a movie about, again, a high school phenom, Ray Allen, in a, pre, in a five years pre-LeBron James year. Like, in Ray Allen, who's... I appreciate the fact that Spike casted Allen over Marbury, Garnett, Bryant, Marbury, who were the other... Iverson was also, and he's just... And the cases against them were, like, Bryant's got to go into his off-season training, and and Garnett and Marbury were going to... It was like, if one doesn't get it, the other has to get it. That was their negotiating thing. Ray Allen... It was a Bucks-Knicks game where uh, Spike just approaches Ray Ray Allen and says... Uh, you want to do this movie? Sure. Yeah, get some acting coach for eight weeks. Yeah, we're good. We're good to go. I like this movie a lot. What's important about this movie is looking at college, what the framework of college sports and college basketball specifically, circa like 1998 when this movie came out versus now. And I, this will be the last you'll hear me talk about UConn basketball for <laughs> several months. But I've watched how Dan Hurley, for instance, has approached this coming off a national championship where literally all the cornerstones of that team could conceivably come back and maybe from a professional standpoint should come back, but he's been nothing but encouraging, nothing but sort of, again, he was on, um, he, he goes on ESPN NBA today with Jordan Hawkins and is, is, has his back like go early. This was this, he says it, this was our plan when he recruits him. It's like, he sees him. He's like, you're, Come here for one year, come here for two years, and then like you're probably ready to be a pro, and I have your back in that regard. Anama Sonogo, the most outstanding player of the Final Four, decides he's going to test the pro waters, and Hurley has nothing but his back. Hurley's, and the coaching staff, and everything on social media. It's like, I pine for a world where college sports, the coaches have the best fiduciary interests of the players in mind. And it's funny that 25 years ago, Spike Lee makes this movie where clearly the whole conflict of the movie is where like uh, Denzel gets released from jail because like the the uh, the warden at the jail where he's at like, oh, go talk to your son tell your son to come to this university where uh, the warden is an alum 
Like, come do that. And it's super sorted. It's like blue. We talked. We did a whole episode on blue chips. Same shit. And again, this movie here, game, delves into all of the kind of the worst aspects of what we once thought college collegiate recruiting were about. About hook them up, the girls, the money, the bags of cash, the girls, this and that. There's, we're not there yet, but we're starting to get there with NIL. With coaches like Hurley, and I, I've sung the praises of Calipari, who I don't like, but I still respect the fact that he goes, listen, I want to be a pipeline to you being successful professionally. Your your personal financial self-interest coincides with mine. So let's make that work together. Let's not be disingenuous. Like I don't, I want you to come here, do well in school, be great for a year, and guess what? Do You do for me, I'll do for you. Let's just make you, you know, and I think Hurley seen that this week where he, Hurley's just like, I'm not, I don't want you to be here for four years. If you're, if you're destined for professional basketball, you don't have to be here for four years. Be here for two, be here for three, be here for four. If you want, good. He got game, 25th anniversary. As far as like it's come, the recruiting, it's just kind of an interesting juxtaposition of like where we are now versus one of years ago where I think we've gotten a little bit better. Not all the way better, but we're kind of getting there, maybe. I don't know. I mean, to me, it's it's what Zach always says about corruption in Connecticut politics. We used to have corruption, then we made it legal, now we don't have it anymore. Um, that a lot of the things that, say, put SMU on the death penalty now happen all the time and, and, it's, it's, and should happen. It should be that the only people getting rich from the sport are not the coaches and the presidents. It should be that the players are getting some of that. Um, you know, I, I mean, the one and done is hard, um, I think, on programs. But the two and three and done are not. Um, you know, Sonogo's a UConn great. And all right, he's going to go in the second round. But his, his value is never going to be higher than it is right now, which is highest it's ever going to be. I, I, I applaud Hurley for... For doing it, and I, uh, I think that uh, nothing, you know, nothing was lost um, with the UConn championship, based on what's happened since then. I've never seen the movie um, because Bill Simmons has talked about it so much that I just feel like I don't never need to see it again. I know I never need to see it. I just, you know, I just like I never need to meet his son. <laughs> It's a good flick. I'd, I'd recommend it. But, yeah, my only memory of this movie was in like seventh or eighth grade, watching it with a girl that I liked to play basketball and making awkward teen like sexual advances towards her that were probably not reciprocated. So in my memory, terrible movie. Don't see it. Not worth it. <laughs> there aren't that many terrible Spike Lee movies. How do I do? That's what I'm saying. It's Spike. Like I'm a huge Spike fan, so... Watch it as an adult with Laura. You guys, you guys would like it. It's oh, great. It's, and make awkward sexual yeah, advances. Yeah, great. I'll make awkward sexual advances that are once minus again rebuffed. Aw- minus the awkward sexual advances. Yeah, there's something about Spike Lee that gets the juices flowing. Yeah. Uh, it's <laughs> rightfully so. <laughs> there's something about... Never mind. I won't make that joke. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, so to finish this off, I want to talk about the 89-year-old albatross that is currently dragging down uh, Democratic politics by the name of Senator Dianne Feinstein in California, uh, most recently known 
for one of the last times she was in Washington, yelling at the children from the Sunrise Movement that she knew more about climate change than they did, uh, which I'm sure she then walked into her office and took a check from the oil lobbyist. If she could find her office, because she needs directions to it all the time, supposedly. Yeah. So in this last week, uh, there has been a big bubbling up of progressive Democrats, especially, but Democrat more Democrats saying that Diane Feinstein should resign. She has not uh, been to Washington in a couple months. She's supposedly recovering from shingles. Uh, this has she also sits in the judici- judiciary committee, and because the Senate is so close, the Democrats have a one vote margin in that committee. So her not being there simply makes everything a tie which now means Joe Biden cannot appoint judges to the federal bench. Uh, If she was a Republican, Mitch McConnell would have simply taken her out back and shot her like a wounded horse. And, you know, Schumer, like, you know, if he wants to get her out of there and sit Shiva for seven days, like, I'm all for it. But we got to do something. Like, And, by the way, it is not sexist for to say that somebody who has clearly signs of Alzheimer's, who is not doing her job, is should resign. I also think the same thing of Joe Biden. Half the time I see him talk of like, oh, man, he is not doing well. Like, maybe the Democratic... Democrats always wonder why Gen Z and millennials can't vote for them. And then they're handed a gift from God in the Dobbs decision. So every young Gen Z and millennial now votes Democrat overwhelmingly. And they continue to decide that the people who should represent a cohort of voters who is at oldest 38 are people in their 80s. So Ro, Ro Cannon, is that his last name? Rokana. Rokana um, called her out and was accused of both sexism and ageism. First of all, as an old guy, I wonder if ageism is actually a thing. Like, I don't think I should be replaced because I'm 61, but... If I become incapable of doing my job, I don't think I should say you're just picking on me because I'm old because I'm incapable of doing my job. Like, she's incapable of doing her job. To be fair, she's been terrible. She was terrible when she was younger. She is in the most liberal state in the country. She is the 35th most liberal senator, the 44th most liberal. Like, she's... She's more liberal. Well, she's not more liberal than anybody anymore because she doesn't know what she believes. But this has been a disgrace. It is a national problem because there are not enough judges. And as we're going to discuss, the judges that we have were all appointed by Trump. So we need other judges and we can't do it because she can't get to work because she can't recover from shingles because she's almost 90 years old. It's ridiculous. And then when you call her out, it's like, well, come on. We need to be a little more sensitive. No. No, we don't. The country is more important than her feelings. And if her feelings are hurt, they won't be hurt for that long. She'll be dead soon. Let's just move on. There's a certain um, – you you don't want to be um, hypocritical because obviously we – not we, but like Democrats uh, as um, Orrin Hatch, Strom Thurmond. Octogenarians plus that served and like there was a lot Chuck of Chuck Grassley. Chuck Grassley. There's more names. And it's like 
they were calling for them to come out, and it's it, you got to call it on yourself. You got to you got to self penalize as as a party. Yeah, she's got to she's got to go. She was it's, twelve years old when America entered World War Two. Oh and shame I mean, on and shame on the people. And this is like the Herschel Walker thing. Vote. Shame on the people who care about her, because whatever legacy she had is gone. Now she is the person who is preventing judges from being appointed because she's too goddamn old for the job. Yeah, you know, getting older is, is very difficult and staying employed is very tough. And there's a lot of discussion about aging and our population and what that means. So, like, from the bottom of my heart, I do just want to say, you know, fuck you, Diane Feinstein. <laughs> like, resign. You're 89, you flew the Confederate flag in the city of San Francisco when you were mayor, you insisted upon it. We were inches away from never having to deal with you. Then you were opportunistic after Harvey Milk was shot to become the supervisor of San Francisco and launch your career. And we've been paying the price ever since, which leads us into our main topic. Because speaking of judges in the United States and their power and why it is important to have a balanced judiciary, we'll be talking about recent decisions in a pill that my father will get right a total of zero times when he pronounces it, <laughs> Mifepristone, otherwise known as an abortion pill, or medicated abortion, we can just call it. I think that'll... I have been practicing Mifepristone I have too, all day. Yes. I, all the way in on the car. Mifepristone, Mifepristone, Mifepristone. So we will probably say Mifepristone once, but that's it. With that, we will be back with our main topic after this. Hi, Gordon. What you been up to? Big things, Fred. I'm a full-time student at bartending college. Wow. I never had time for a formal education. Well, I decided to make time, but it's not easy. Bartending college is a four-week course. Gee, how far along are you? Well, let's see. This is Tuesday, the third week. Hey, I'm a junior, and I'm late for a daiquiri lecture. Why don't you join me? Why not? Bartending college. You've already spent enough time on the other side of the bar to qualify for enrollment. Bartending college. We'll teach you everything you need to know. You'll get a starter set of bartenders jokes like, So I says to the guy, you can stay, but the cow's gotta go. <laughs> Bartending college. You'll learn how to roll drunks, water the liquor, and skim the cash register. And remember, as the bartender, you drink for free. For free. free. Last call for integrity. So welcome back. On April 7th, Judge Matthew Kaczmarek of the Northern District of Texas, a man who was legal counsel for a bunch of right-wing groups who has called transgender uh, people an abomination and has called homosexuals an abomination and who hid a paper he wrote on this very issue when he was interviewed for the, the district court, ruled that Mifepristone, which had been uh, approved by the FDA for decades, and nailed the pronunciation, by the way. Yes, well I, I, I have said the word out loud a thousand times uh, today to be ready for this podcast, um, and I even got got Casmeric right too. Um, Usually, I just get the first couple letters of a word right. But anyway. You know, the generic version is Corlim. That might be easier to... <laughs> Mifepristone is what we're going with. Should have told that yesterday. <laughs> um, because the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a very conservative Christian legal advocacy group, 
brought this to the Texas court and claimed that Mifrostone is unsafe and the FDA did not study it closely enough before approving it 23 years ago. On the same day, in Washington, D.C., Democratic attorney generals had brought a case saying that Mifrostone should remain legal. And, of course, it was decided in Washington, D.C. that, of course, it should because because there was a, a vested communal interest in protecting the status quo. So, Zach, where are we exactly legally with two conflicting rulings? So, with two conflicting rulings by two district courts, now the arbiter of this decision, uh, who will make a final ruling on if Mifprestone should remain legal or if it should be a banned substance that the FDA has to go through all of its approval process all over again, uh, is the Supreme Court, uh, which, as we all know, is 6-3 conservative, not just conservative, but Christian conservative. Correct. Including a handmaid in, uh, what was Barrett? Amy Comey Barrett. Yeah. So what was your reaction to this, Andrew, when you heard? Like most of these stories that we that we talk about on this podcast, I always have to, like, I have to go to the news, aggregate. And the first story I read was a B, was a BBC article where they, they spoke to an, um, an anonymous former member of the FDA. The FDA, this person said that, this drug is one of the most thoroughly orbited, thoroughly investigated year over year for the last 23 years. And every year it's like, yes, yeah, this is this is fine. And now, this year, we get challenged by the Texas, the Supreme Court of Texas. Now it comes into question. And so my first thought was like, here we go. Here's just another fissure in our national just dialogue on abortion, women's rights, and you know, to to forward. to be clear, well over half of all abortions are done by pills now. Right, they are the pills are several times safer than the surgical procedure. This ruling said, among other things, that the that the FDA had no right to move it from a ten weeks after pregnancy. It was it had been seven weeks after conception. They moved it to 10. They moved it to 10. He said, no, they don't have the right to do that. And I guess he implied, because in those three weeks, it's more dangerous than the other three weeks. Of course, there's literally no evidence of that whatsoever. We know that because he didn't cite any medical evidence, because this is a joke decision by a joke judge. Um, yeah, Cax Merrick had. Right. I, I'm trying to think. I remember there was an article that I read briefly. Just He had ridiculous conflicts. Like in oh. terms of his pa- like, he wrote an article yeah, like, for an organization much like this group. Like, I know judges have an ethics board that looks at them and not anymore. Yeah, like I, if this isn't <laughs> it, like what are they looking at? Well, I mean, Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas. You, yeah. you spoke about Clarence Thomas last week. On Who this will vote episode. on this? And who will have who will, a decision yeah. on this? Right, and and the chance of him recusing himself are zero. Yeah. There's a zero percent chance he'll recuse himself on this issue. So this will also affect, this is a national issue. This is not state by state. Yeah, this does not say in states where abortion is legal, Mifprestone can still be subscribed. It's it's illegal everywhere. Correct. 23 million women had reproductive rights taken away from them by the Dobbs decision. 
an additional $40 million would have reproductive rights taken away from them with this. That's 63 million women of childbearing years. That's probably the number of childbearing women, you know, in, in the country. Obviously, they could, uh, in Connecticut and, and in states where abortion is legal, they can continue to have the surgical procedure. This bill, I mean, this pill has 0.00005% fatality rate, which is one-tenth of Viagra. Anyone want to guess if Viagra will be found uh, against the law? No. no. Of course not. I, I'm going to go with it's totally against the law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Viagra will probably not be found illegal because Clarence Thomas did not find Loving versus Virginia illegal because it affected him. My guess is the Viagra also affects him. He's 70-something. Um, and, you know, he's leaving pubic hairs on the, on the Coke cans of uh, Anita Hill allegedly. So it's not going to be legal by mail anywhere. And what he used, what has Merrick used as evidence, and what was brought up by both the uh, Republican Attorney Generals and the Alliance of Defending Freedom also used, is that it was a violation of the Comstock laws. And we need to do a bit of a dive on the Comstock laws in one Anthony Comstock. Had you heard the Comstock laws before, Andrew? Until before this week, the, no. Uh, no. I remember it in college. I have no memory of <laughs> what I know it's like a Civil War era law. It's a Grant Administration law. Yes, yeah, it's like 1870. Yeah. Anthony Comstock, who the, the laws are obviously named after, was the head was president of the New York Society to Suppress Vice and then became a postmaster for the state of New York. He was horrified by the morality he saw among Union soldiers in, in the, during the Civil War. There was also this belief among many people that our moral values would become lessened once black people became citizens because blacks did not honor the family traditions as much as we did, white people did, in general because we sold them away from their, their spouses. So, like, that happened. And these laws made it illegal to send lewd and lascivious information through the mail. That included contraception. It included abortion-related information. It also included anatomy textbooks. <laughs> Comstock then made it illegal to transport these materials over railroads um, as well. This had had a chilling effect. One of the first things that he had banned were George Bernard Shaw's plays. D.H. Lawrence novels were banned. He bragged that over 40 million tons of books had been burned because of the Comstock law. He also bragged that over 15 women had killed themselves when he brought charges against them on the Comstock laws because he only brought charges against women. He is a horrifying figure in our history, and he is the a role model for the current Republican Party. And it, it's also a reminder that America's always been like this. Like, and, you know, we've always been a white Christian nationalist, male-dominated 
country, culture, everything about it. Like, you know, fucking morons like Candace Owens put on Twitter the other day, you know, name name one thing that's gotten better since the women got since women got the right to vote. And I'm like, women got the right to vote. That's Yeah, like I don't know that. That is better. You you said it there. You said plays banned, books banned. That's the playbook that Republican legislators are running in the 2020s. Comstock said... Like, Comstock is 150 years prescient. Comstock said, books are the sidewalk to the brothel. Not a good good take. No. (laughs) Which is also, it's one of those things that's so, always so hypocritical about these conservative white males is they think black people don't have the same morals as white people, but they also don't want them to read. <laughs> like, so they can never get the... They want to sl- tilt the playing field. Yeah. Now and forever. It's abhorrent. So, by using the Comstock laws as the basis, and, by the way, fair is fair, Democrats had the majority in the House and the Senate and the presidency... For two fucking years, we knew this bill was coming. We knew that the Republicans were going to use the Comstock law, and we did nothing about it. Nothing about it. Because... The Democrats were Ned Flanders' parents. (laughs) (laughs) We we tried nothing, and we're all out of ideas. It is, you know, it is disgraceful. And, and of course, we can't get judges that will agree with us because Dianne Feinstein won't go away. But um, they have changed this law. Congress took out the ban on contraception information from the law in the 70s after Griswold versus Connecticut. But what had happened is that these laws were viewed as, you know, they were the same as the laws that say you have to tip your hat to a cow, you know, that they have in some states that like, yeah, no one's ever going to use these laws. I mean, they're not real. And yet, of course, they're real because morons like Kazmarek are going to use them to get the agenda they want. Um, But the problem is even surgical abortions are going to be illegal because you cannot send abortion-related materials to a hospital without using interstate travel. You can't do it. This is why Dianne Feinstein holding up judge appointments is so very infuriating because Republicans know, at least right now, they can never get a national abortion ban passed in Congress. It's never going to pass the Senate. Biden will never sign it. They probably, because they only have a four-vote margin in the House, they probably don't even have enough votes among Republicans to do a full abortion ban. There's probably enough women in the house that might say that would say they're all in his three. Murkowski, Murkowski and Collins are saying are no's. Yeah. So they're, they're but they so they no, those are pro and Romney's probably a no. Yeah. Well, no, it's just Murkowski and Collins are so they so that so they know they can't get it passed. They know electorally it's killing them nationally. So they've been nipping apart at the state level in states where abortion is already restricted. All they've done is restrict it further. Instead of banning it outright, they just continue restricting it further and taking inch by inch. But they know, no matter what they do, 
in Congress, at the state level, or electorally, or politically, they know that the judicial system is set up in a way right now that all they have to do is file court case after court case after court case, and eventually there will be a ban on total abortion care. It's kind of the... I'm wary to call it genius. Just the most lasting effect of the Trump administration is is packing the courts. This is also not surprising. This has been a 50-year plan. We knew what the evangelicals were doing in the 70s when Roe v. Wade became law. They have been doing this for 50 years. We've seen it coming. Did Democrats ever once, even under Obama, enshrine abortion into law? No, well, because f- they had be- they had, they believed the Democrats believed for decades that abortion and gun rights were third rails, and the gu- gu- assault weapons and abortion bans are so unpopular, so unpopular with the general public that they can't bring it to any electoral process whatsoever. They can't, but they have no interest in democracy. It, we are in a post-democratic world. Yeah, it seems country. like. I don't know if this is the end game. What the next game to me is like? It seems like Biden and the you know FDA are going to appeal to the Supreme Court, and you have the FDA that's like we have we have really arbitrated this drug. This drug is safe. This drug is is this that and the other checks all the boxes. But the makeup of the Supreme Court is going to and what is the makeup of the Supreme Court? It's I a mean, product of. I mean. <laughs> Alito, Trump I mean, and Bush. It's a pro- it's a, it, it, there's many more or less. It, I mean, it's a product of RBG not stepping down during Obama's sure. era to appoint a younger justice. It's Merrick Garland getting blocked by Mitch McConnell Absolutely. in pure political power that was all about abortion. That was what that fight was, and about. it remains about it. it Stays well, the because, because and, it was, yeah. and then it, and that's and then, where it was. That's where it was lost. Yeah, <laughs> well, and because, we and we lose it there, and then it gets even worse where. You know, heroes of the resistance, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, vote for Kavanaugh, Barrett, and Gorsuch because they looked them in the eyes and they said they're not going to overturn abortion. Right. They said it's established law, and then they immediately lied. Kazmarek lied. To, to, I mean, he never mentioned. And he said he did discuss it with two senators, Cronin and Cruz. Well, you may as well, you know, you may as well talk to Jan's two pit bulls because... That's about the level of response you're going to get from those two. It, it all just seems so like anti-constitutional because like if you, and I'm not well super. I'm well enough versed in like Roe v. Wade where everything coming from these people is just like going against they the idea constitutional. Well, the idea of precedent like, precedent is gone. The idea of precedent is gone. And why? The, and why is that? Because because they didn't like the results. The Abood decision, which said you can't, that, rewrite, you can't rewrite history, you can't rewrite precedent, but they're doing it. It turns out they're you doing can. It. They're and doing, you, it. and you can also sure. prevent history from being taught. It turns sure. out <laughs> because because the Abood decision, fifty years of history, saying that unions had the right to collect um, collect fair share fees, fifty years gone. Roe v. Wade, fifty years of precedent gone. In nineteen nineteen. A judge said in New York that the Comstock rules had no basis in law and no rational goal that they were trying to attain. That was 1919. 104 years later, we've moved backwards socially. It is because the problem is we haven't moved backwards socially. Nobody believes this anymore. 
So you have to do it in a way, you, you have to impose the minority's view on the majority. Is there any chance Which the Supreme by- Court, <coughs> is there any chance the Supreme Court um, uphold, uh, I mean, Alito did offer, Alito was the one that gave the stay on the, on the, on the law. No, it's over. And yeah, this is over. Um, they're going to, they're going to make it illegal and the FDA is going to have to go through it again, which will of course get politicized. And then the house Republicans will hold hearings and interfere with the approval process and drag this out and use all and put their thumb on the scale. We just, every year it just gets worse. It just keeps getting worse. You know, we have multiple crises happening at once in this country and a political process that is utterly broken down and a judicial process that is completely tilted toward white Christian nationalism. Any, any hope, Andrew? I just asked this question and I, I say no. I say this because since Trump got indicted uh, by the SDNY, there's been a lot of talk of like, are we a country where nobody's nobody's above the law? And what's happened, what we've seen in this sort of like legislation regarding like women's rights, abortion specifically, is that they're not above the law, but they make themselves above the law. And they will restructure and reframe the law in their interest. And their interest is like obviously pro-life and it's... It's anti-choice. Anti-choice. It's, it's anti-women. Anti-woman. It's, it's, anti- yeah. it's anti-female autonomy. Correct. Is what it is. Yeah. And it's... I mean, when you when you say you have to go to see the doctor three times in seven weeks before you get a pill, that is saying you're not getting a pill. Because it, women don't even know they're pregnant many times. Sometimes yeah. women will go, I, my wife recognized that she had had uh, with her partner at the time. She had had unprotected, um, the condom broke and she just went and got a pill because she said, I'm not having another child. And, and that's he, like, you know what? That was her right. And it won't be a right. Yeah. It, it won't be a right in a year. And we haven't even talked like, or touched upon, you know, crisis pregnancy centers that are religious fronts that basically like in those states where it says, you know, you can't have an abortion after 12 weeks. They make you come back and back and back and back right. and back. And then, oh, sorry, it's too late to have an abortion. Right. Sorry. No, we live um, we, we live in a dystopian nightmare. And with that, we'll say goodbye from the Bill Bradley Collective. As always, we thank you for joining us here. And if you like today's episode, smash that subscribe button. Leave us a review. Let's help grow the collective brand. We'll see you all next week on the Bill Bradley Collective.